You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. I want us to take a look tonight at the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in a pivotal moment in their life when great change was happening. Things were, were shifting around them. All that they had known to be reality, all that they knew to be life was changing. Imagine the wild road, the wild ride that they were on from the very first time that they met Jesus until where we find them here in Matthew chapter 14. All they experienced, all they witnessed how much can one person be overwhelmed? How many times can you endure staring into the face of the impossible day after day, hour after hour, walking with the Messiah as they did? It says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. So our story begins here with the disciples. As I said, they've seen Jesus multiply the loaves and the fish before. Where we find them in this message later, we're going to look at the account of Jesus walking on the water. But as we look at it, we have to consider some important things, very important things. I focus here where it says, you give them something to eat. Because this is a very important moment. This time that they were in of experiencing the supernatural was preparing them for a future in service to the king. Everything that they were looking at, everything that they were beholding. One of the most powerful principles in the kingdom of God is this, that you become what you behold. What you see you can become. What you look at, what you stare at, what you meditate on, what you focus on, what you stake claim in, in the realms of God, it can be yours. Since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom allows that behavior. And the violent ones, the forceful ones, are raiding the kingdom and taking the things that God is offering. But he's looking for those that will initiate. He's looking for those that will express the interest one of the problems I want to address in this message as we're talking about entering the new is that many Christians fail to grow or enter new realms because they believe that those spiritual realms or that spiritual understanding must come after a long time of a cultivation of them. They believe that it is a natural process of maturing. Some believe that just like a child will be small and you're not worried because the toddler is not two meters tall or 1.8 meters tall because you know it's a process of growth. So little by little, the child will grow. We have patterns of growth, but in the spiritual kingdom, things do not conform to natural timelines. I've seen many people come into the realms of God. I've seen many people exposed to the glory and the anointing of God and react to it in different ways. And some people look at it and think one day, one day I'll, I'll excel. One day I'll reach that level. One day I'll grow to that place. And others say, I'm not waiting. I'm rushing in. I'm taking, I'm grabbing hold of the things of God. Here the disciples have been watching Jesus. And in this crucial moment of their development, 
and their spiritual function. In other words, they were doing natural things by serving Jesus and going here and carrying this and doing the physical things surrounding Jesus. But now he's starting to introduce them to more and more impossibilities as possible. They're seeing it, but this is the first time that he's telling them something like this. You give them something to eat. You do the supernatural now. Because we come to that place. This, these, these guys were being fashioned into apostles, starting as disciples, learners, and brought into apostles, sent ones. How do you go from being a student into being a teacher and a master? How do you reach a level of maturity where you're the one that's blazing the trail? You're the one drawing people, and they're wanting to follow you, the principles that you've learned from Christ. This is what Jesus had to do with these disciples. And so we see so many lessons being learned as we look at Jesus starting to shift the weight of responsibility onto the shoulders of the disciples. It happened about a year and a half to two years into his ministry. More and more he started putting weight on them for their functionality. Sending them out, empowering, giving them the power to cast out spirits and to heal the sick. Then sending them out on a test run. And little by little he's trying them out. But even in having the anointing, having the power to go out and be able to cast out devils, he still wants to teach them more and more and more. And there comes a time when we have to start to operate in the supernatural and enter a new understanding of life, a new perspective, a new paradigm. Some remain in the immaturity of the past and rest in the natural realms of man, the limitation of man. They operate solely and entirely on natural Things And of course, if you live in a natural world and you only encounter natural problems, you may be able to get away with that. But what happens when a Goliath steps in front of you? What happens when there is something impossible put before you? What happens when you see in life things that you know there's no way that, this, that I can make it? There's no way that this can be done. And that's what Jesus was doing with them. Day after day, he's showing them these amazing things. But there has to be a desire to grow. There has to be a hunger to grow. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, it says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. This is the writer of Hebrews. Very likely the Apostle Paul. We're not sure, but it's a man who cared about the church, and he's writing this letter under the unction of the Spirit and saying, you no longer try to understand. There was a time when you were going after it. There was a time that you were focusing and trying to comprehend, but it seems like you've just settled back into a place of, oh, well, let's just wait and see what happens. And the kingdom of God does not work with that mentality. God has no waiting rooms. God has factories. God has work environments. God has places where we go and function in service to him. The writer continues to say here, in fact, no, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. 
you know, whenever the Bible's speaking of these principles and spiritual teachings, spiritual concepts being taught with spiritual words, it says in Corinthians, that that spiritual teaching, spiritual understanding, multi-dimensional understanding, breaking away from this life and entering into a, 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 an understanding and a perception of another realm that will cause you to be able to operate in the supernatural. This is what this is saying. That's the solid food. And there were many people that could not enter that place, couldn't get there. But he said the mature do this, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Basically, in this world, there's not much to offer. In this world, we see a lot of evil. There's a lot of bad things. It's not one thing, it's another. Turn on the news. It should be called the bad news. Now we have the Wuhan virus, Corona virus that's rising and 2,000 people now confirmed in China affected. Uh, 19 or 20 people have died. It's continuing to grow. It's always something like that, isn't it? Always something. This says about these mature people, and that's our goal really. My goal for you, of course, and it should be for anybody in a church that's teaching, is that the people of God mature. Keep growing and growing and growing. We do it with our own children. We want them to have responsibilities. We want them to start cleaning up after themselves. How much do you remember the day when they were finally potty trained? No longer pooping in a diaper. That is the most glorious time. I bribed my first son with an actual opportunity to swim with a live dolphin if he would stop pooing in his pants. And it worked. Why? Because I wanted him. I said, I'll take you to swim with the dolphins. I'll take you to swim with the dolphins. Daddy, I go poo-poo toilet, I go swim with dolphins. Yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Sure enough, that was Tony, my firstborn. First time he, he made in the toilet with no problems, no accidents. He came to me. I go dolphin now? I said, well, okay, let's see if this is going to stick. I don't want it to stick in your pants. I want it to stick in the toilet. And at that moment, he never pooped his pants again. It was done. And, of course, we went to go swim with the dolphin. I didn't swim with the dolphin. He swam. The dolphins stink. I don't even like to touch them. But, but he's a child. I don't know if you've ever smelt the dolphin or touched a dolphin. Oh, oof. The only thing worse than a dolphin is a sea lion. A sea lion has the worst breath on planet Earth. They look good on TV, though. But needless to say, we want our children to mature. God wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. He wants us to develop. And he's speaking here in the scripture, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use. What does that mean? That means that the spiritual things that we learn, we don't just learn and tuck away, but we constantly use it. You can give someone a keyboard, but if there's not constant use of the keyboard, they will never learn how to play it with any mastery at all. There has to be constant use. And notice here the reflexive form in the, in the language. It says, who by constant use have been trained? No. Trained who? Themselves. It's very specific in the Greek meaning that they did everything required to themselves in order to bring about that maturity. We train ourselves, we do it, we fight for it, we get to that place, we choose to grow and we set sights on where we want to grow in spirit. We, we do it in the natural, some people set goals, some people are very goal oriented and it's easy for them. Why can't we do that in spirit? I'm having a great time this year. I've made it through my first six days of fasting, 36 hours each, and my eyes are opening like never before. It's 
gorgeous. I'm having so much fun. Revelations are coming faster than they have in years. You know how fasting works. 36-hour intervals, I'm absolutely without hunger. I'm happy. In fact, in the morning I wake up after the fast, I'm reluctant to eat anything because I feel so good. Some people say that's just nuts. It's spiritual. Because in that realm, it's an effort that I'm making, as it says here, by constant use of these principles to train myself to become more aware, more sensitive, see with greater clarity. I learned this years ago from my pastors, my leaders, my mentors. All of them demonstrated to me things that I watched them do. And they were two classes of people in my church. The people that relegated pastors and leaders as those people on a pedestal that are just the elite and special forces of God. They operate in those realms because it is, is their destiny. I never felt that way. I always know that God is no respecter of persons. And with one person can do, another can. You may say right now, well, what about Reinhard Bunker? I guarantee if you did what Reinhardt did, you would have the same results. But when you look into his life and about the road that he walked to be able to get where he had gotten, you might not want to do it. Why? Because by constant use, he trained himself. And of course, the Lord blesses that and works with it. But he's demonstrating to us. With all this in mind, in this message, we're going to examine the story of when Jesus was walking on the water, but asking a question. Why? Why did Jesus walk on the water? Is it because he just felt like walking on the water? No. He walked on the water because he had a lesson to teach. He had something he was trying to say. And I've taught messages along, along the lines of this passage many times before. But this is different than I've ever seen before. Because God's word is alive. You can teach the same passage a thousand times. And it can say something very different. Even abstract from your last message. So I'm going to share with you what God has been showing me over the last week. In my times of praying, fasting, meditating, he's revealed this to me. Seven stages of spiritual development. This is for us to enter the new. Let's begin where we left off in the 14th chapter of Matthew. Just as he said, you give them something to eat. After that, they see the miracle of the loaves and fish. And as soon as they're done with that and clean up, that's where we start our story. Number one, Jesus wants to change us. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Mark 6.48 says he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Now I have to ask the question, Jesus, what is he trying to do here? Let's start from the beginning and the foundation of what leads up to him walking on the water. He's with his disciples. He's just finally pushed them into trying to get them to multiply the loaves and the fish. They helped at least. They started to operate in their faith. Andrew, they found the, the few little loaves and the few fish and said, this is all we have, but maybe 
At least they had some faith, and sure, it paid off. They were able to feed the masses miraculously. But now he realizes in watching that there's still some lessons they need to learn. He puts them in a boat, and he says, you guys just go. Go, I'm going to take care of the crowd. I'm going to dismiss them. Just go. And he pointed in a direction, obviously to the other side of the lake, which is, you know, somewhere around 30 kilometers across that lake at its longest. So maybe 20 in the short distance between. So he sends them out on the lake, and he goes up on the mountain. Now, obviously, from the verse, he saw the disciples training, which means that he was in a position on the mountain to be able to see the disciples out on the water. Because Jesus wants to change us, and when he does it, he sends us off into a realm where it seems we are not with him, or we may be alone, or we may be going things where we don't feel what we felt before, or we don't experience what we felt before, and so we get a little worried, but life does that. It's the lessons of life. We're out there, but sometimes we think we're alone, but in fact, Jesus is watching every move we make. So he's on the mountain watching them fight, struggle. They were told to go, they're gone, they're obedient. Go that side. They are professional fishermen, they're rowers, they're rowing, but today there's enough wind blowing against them that they seem to be getting nowhere. They're just rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and notice that the same hill is in the same spot and the same tree is on the same shore and they keep rowing and rowing. I've actually done that before in boats. It is frustrating. When the current is flowing. We lived in Acapulco and sometimes we'd go to the water and there was strong currents outside. And if you swam out there, even on your little blow up thing, you could go out there. And if you got out far enough, there was no way, no matter how fast you could swim, we would go out, fun, laugh, ha ha, then go back to the beach and find ourselves literally four or five kilometers down the beach from where we went out. That's because the current out there was, but you didn't feel it when you were in it. But in this case, they're fighting to get across there, and Jesus is watching them. Sometimes in life, you have an objective, you have a goal, you feel that God told you, go to the other side, go do this, go accomplish this, and you get out there, and you're rowing, and you're rowing, but nothing's happening. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Nothing's happening. It's not working like it's supposed to. You had your dreams and your vision and your ideas and your goals and you knew by a certain date and time that all the things you ever dreamed of would happen. But no, you're stuck rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and nothing's happening. And you think you're alone, but I'm telling you, we have someone who's a mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. A righteous king who's called as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek and he sits at the right hand of the father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. And there's nothing you can do to escape his sight. And if you're out there rowing on the water and the boat's not moving, I promise you that's a Jesus wind blowing on you. I promise you that he has so much control over your life that no matter what's going on, good or bad, Fun or disgusting, it is something that God is allowing. You say, well, God wouldn't send you off to experience horrible things. We just saw last week the prodigal son. The father allowed him, gave him an inheritance, and sent him out knowing full well. And that's why when he came back, this son was dead, but now he's alive. He meant that when he was at home, he observed those problems in his son's life that he couldn't fix. Couldn't help him. Couldn't teach him. First son got it, second son just didn't hear it. He didn't want to even out the other, like we talked about last week. So the father's plan was, okay, you want your inheritance? Here you go. Knowing full well he was going to squander it out there. 
And he sent him out, and everything fell apart. When he came to himself, came to his senses, it says in another translation, what happens? He said, in my father's house, the, the, the slaves have a better life than this. The father had all of that worked out. That's why the father saw him a long way off before he even got to the house, because he was standing there staring down the road waiting, because that was his plan. So it is with this. Jesus is sending these guys out on the water. They're rowing and rowing, trying to get across, but it, the wind is blowing, and Jesus is looking down from the mountain as he sees them straining at the oars and knows, okay, that's just what I thought. Plan's working out. Thank you, Father. What was he praying for? What was he saying up on the mountain? We don't know because nobody was with him, but he was probably saying, Oh, Father, send a wind. Stop them from making it across because I want to teach them something. You don't know what he's praying for you. I quote all the time the same passage in Jeremiah. I, Jeremiah, I know the plans. He doesn't say you know them. He says, I know the plans. Not to harm you. Why would he have to say not to harm you? Because sometimes in the middle of life, when you are straining at the doors, you think God must hate me. God must be trying to kill me. Why would he allow this to happen? I'm suffering. No, God has a plan bigger than you can imagine. He sends you out there on the water. You're struggling. Why? Because he wants to change us. He saw them straining there and he sent him out there to experience because life gets rough and Jesus knows it. He never promised you a rose garden. He said only through much tribulation. He, he never said everything was going to be perfect. Number two. Jesus demonstrates the new. The title of the message is Entering the New. We're trying to find a way to move in the new realms in God. Well, that's my goal anyway for 2020. I'm ready to grow. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to grow. I want to mature more than ever before this year. Jesus demonstrates the new. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. That's pretty amazing. The, the corresponding passage in Mark says shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. And he was about to pass by them, it says. So in this particular case, in the Greek, it's very specific. If he sent them that way, and they're straining to go that way. Jesus went after them. And so he walks parallel, not perpendicular to the boat. In other words, he walks in such a way that he was about to pass by them. In other words, he was at least on the side. What does it mean to pass? If you have two cars in the PIE and they're struggling to get to a place of advantage, like the taxi driver always does, or you're driving your car, passing means you're not next to them, but that you go ahead of them. It says in the scripture that he was about to go past them. You can't pass someone behind them, so Jesus was next to them. Why would he do that? Because it's a lot easier to see somebody walking on the water when they're over there going that way than if they're behind you coming. Because they would be looking forward. They're, why would they even see you? They wouldn't have seen him and the lesson would have been lost. So Jesus said, these, these guys are never going to look back. So, and he had to go on the side and walk over here to the side looking at them. Why would he do that? Because Jesus demonstrates things. He came to them actually in a very unorthodox manner. And by the way, Jesus had been in many boats up to now for a couple of years. 
Jesus crossed this lake a dozen times. Did you ever see him walking on it before? Always in a boat. Why this day would he decide to walk on the water? You don't think Jesus could have conjured up a boat somewhere over there, despite the fact that the disciples had the other boat? No problem. They were people there, I guarantee, because he was always surrounded with people. If he had a plan to be in a boat, he would have said, besides all the people in the crowd, everybody in the crowd, go home, except if you have a boat, I need your help. And they would have been happy to help him. But no, his plan was to walk on the water. Who walks on the water? What kind of crazy thing is this? This is something absolutely impossible. I don't think there are many other examples of supernatural that would be more frightening and more overwhelming to us than to see someone actually walking on water. And I'm sure Jesus thought of that. Maybe he was on the mountain praying that. How, Father, how can I blow their minds? I've already healed people, opened deaf ears, the lame are walking, we raised that dead kid out of the coffin in the middle of the funeral. They just don't seem to get it. They're still not getting it. I want to do something so wild, so crazy, that, that they absolutely be blown away. Maybe the father said, well, why don't I just walk on the water? <laughs> Good idea, Dad. He's walking on the water. And Jesus does this to us. You say, well, I haven't seen Jesus walking on water. I mean, no, but you've seen people in the body of Christ. You've seen brothers and sisters aforementioned Reinhard Bunker in front of hundreds of thousands of people. You've seen people doing impossible things for Jesus. And there's two ways you can look at it. You can admire them from the distance and say, that's amazing. Or you can say, I can do that. And Jesus was looking for someone to say, I want to do that. That was the whole plan. That's why he was walking on the water. Because he wanted to demonstrate supernatural so that we could become what we behold by looking at it. The principle of observation. This is what God does when he gets everything, uh, uh, when we get everything figured out in formula. Sometimes we, we think we know how things are done and God will purposely change the rules on us. If you ever get settled into a formula, I guarantee you God will change the circumstances. He doesn't like formulas. He likes you to depend upon him at all times. He walked as a display of something that they'd never dared even dream. I guarantee you not one of the disciples thought when they were children, one day I want to meet a man that walks on water and I want to walk on the water. I'm sure nobody ever thought of walking. Why do we know about walking on water? Because Jesus did it. We would have never thought about it. God wants to teach us new ways. It's time for new wines. Because you know the scripture that says in Matthew 9, 14, John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they'll fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment and make the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are Preserved. As I'm looking at this, I had this thought. New garments, new containers. New garments are the outside appearance. 
if we become what we behold by observing someone, think about Elijah and Elisha. If you see me, you'll get what you're asking for. If you don't see me, you won't get it. Elisha had to witness the miraculous fiery chariot with his own eyes for him to be able to place a demand. Elisha had to witness Elijah doing things natural and supernatural consistently to be able to reprogram his brain matter into accepting that impossible things are possible. Enough that he could reduplicate it after the fire chariot took him away, pick up the mantle and fold it just like Elijah did and strike the waters just like Elijah did, God of Elijah, and it worked for him and the water opened. This principle is ancient. It's always been. It's how God created humans. Why children emulate their parents. They watch and learn, observe and do it. They want to be like that. They want to do what we do. Make sure you're doing the right things in front of your children because they are helplessly connected to a reduplication process. They will become what they behold. Demonstrate right behavior. Demonstrate right manners. Demonstrate things because they will. The outside and your outside changes. When God wants to do something new in your life and give you a new energy, a new power, bring you into it, it means your external you has to change. Your garment, if you will. Otherwise, you try to put the new on the old you and the old way you acted and the old way you spoke and the old way you treated your people and it will tear and rip and it won't fit and it won't work. You have to be reinvented. Become something new. Boy, I wish I could have introduced you to me years ago when I was 17 years old. Ignorant, stupid, stupid person. You would have never, you've never recognized me. You would have thought this guy... He barely understandable. My, my, my language was terrible. I grew up on the streets. Every other word started with the letter F. Every other word. We used it constantly. All the, it was like you, didn't, you could not speak. I'll tell you a true story. This is a true story. I was with a friend in my neighborhood. And I dared say that I needed some toilet paper. And he laughed at me. He said, toilet paper? <laughs> I said, what? It's not toilet paper, it's ass wipe. That was his name for toilet paper. I was like, what? I was considered too sophisticated in my environment because I said toilet paper. I'm just giving you an understanding of the realm in which I lived. God does things, how? By demonstration. He walks on water, he shows you. I watch my pastors. I sat with my pastor's wife and a master's in English polishing my words little by little, constantly correcting my English, constantly, 20 times a day, Stephen. Actually, what you should say is, it's correct me, correct me, correct me. It's dangling participle. Always naming the things. I didn't even know what she was talking about, but little by little I learned it. You say, but that's the outside. That's not really spiritual. It's all connected. The external has to change. The way we relate, the way we act, the way we treat people, everything. And the other is the internal, inside ethics, new containers. That's the wine that goes in. It has to be kept in a container that's ready for it. What's the difference? It's the supple pliability of the skin that matters. 
A new skin was flexible and could stretch in the fermentation process and would be able to expand without exploding. It means you have to be able to be stretched. Jesus is going to show you things. Well, he's walking on the water. Well, then you'd say, well, then I must walk on the water because he's the firstborn among many brothers. I'm sure none of you here thought, you know, one day I'm going to walk on water. Maybe Susan did. She's a, she's a little hyper-spiritual sometimes. Good thing. You get what you ask for in the kingdom. It's just the way it works. I could just see her walking across a swimming pool somewhere. Just to demonstrate to people how great God is. Causing a mass revival somewhere. Woman walks on water. Headlines. Somebody will film it with their iPhone. Susan be the first one ever to walk on the water. And I would say, I knew it. I would, I would say, go, go look at that message I preached on entering the new back in 2020. I said, I said she would do it. Because now we put the idea in her head. And now she's like hard task to do it. So just be ready. When the opportunity comes. Or something similar to that. God wants to teach us new ways, new garments, new containers. Our demonstrations today come from the men and the women of God that surround us. We behold and learn from them. I spent years watching my teachers do amazing things. And when it came time for me to learn that, I knew it. Gosh, I watched people put their hands on buildings and claim them when they were eating three-day-old tortillas at home. They were having to make chilaquiles. Chilaquiles is a rehydrated dead tortilla. That's a dish. They Actually, it's delicious because it's a, you know, home. It's really good. But you take tortillas, they get, they're like bread, but like, you know, organic. It goes stale very quickly. Tortillas get harder to rock by the next day. So they, lay, they would lay them all out in the sun and dry them and then rehydrate them and cook them in sauces and make it like a, a starchy mash and it is magnificent. I just ate it the last time I went to Mexico. And I knew this, this family was doing that at home because they had no money. And they're putting their hands on a $2 million building, claiming it in Jesus' name. And I'm rolling my eyes in the van. People are stupid. And two weeks later, they own that building. And I watched the people line up to give them Thousands upon thousands of dollars for the down payment. I watched it happen. You, you cannot look at that without changing. They had no money. And they bought a building with no money because they had faith, and faith is more lucrative than finance. I saw it. So later on, fast forward, I'm in India. I need transportation. I'm in the shopping mall, and I see the vehicle parked there, the demonstrator model right in the middle of the mall. I'm with a group of Indian pastors. I walk up to it, put my hands on it just like I remember my mentor doing it to the building. And I said, I claim this vehicle in the name of Jesus. God, if you give me this, I will go, I will go to 50 villages and preach the gospel. I took my hands off. The pastors are laughing. They're rolling their eyes at me like I rolled my eyes at my mentors. And yet about three months later, I pull up outside the pastor's meeting in my brand new truck. They were offended. It actually offended them. They were terrified that it worked. I'm serious. Why? Because it demonstrated to them a principle that they had to admit they were not living. 
and they were so self-sufficient in their own pride, they decided that it couldn't be of God, some hocus-pocus, some trick. And they finally said, it is because you went to America. And so much money is there. They paid, and that's how you got. Purposely talking themselves out of their faith. You understand? They could have done the same thing, and I told them that. You could claim the things you want and get them. Not long after that, I met a pastor in a village, uh, Pastor Dev Kule. And he told me he would go to the Honda dealership and lay hands on motorcycles. I'd say, God, we need these to go to the villages. By the way, I went to many more than 50 villages in that truck. But anyway, he would go pray for um, these motorcycles. I agreed with him. I was so fired up about his faith. I said, amen. I went to the U.S. and a man came to me and he says, what you doing in India? I said, well, we're going to the villages. You know, I have a motorcycle club and we wanted to sponsor some motorcycles. And I said, really? I have a pastor. They need, how many you need, brother? I said, seven? Like, you know, what do you say? A hundred? <laughs> I wanted to make sure I tapped the arrows, you know. So I knew he needed about three. I said, this many in he said, okay, how much are those? I told him the price, and before I went back to India, I had the money. It was so much fun going to that Honda dealership with that pastor. I didn't tell him what we were doing. I said, come on. And we went to the dealership, and I bought him multiple motorcycles. He had to call pastors to come from different places on buses to get their brand-new motorcycles. And I knew they didn't have a lot of money, so I said, not only am I going to give you this, but we're going to fund your petrol for these for the next year. They planted so many churches. They went to so many places. These are principles that were demonstrated to me that I later demonstrated. We become what we behold, but then we display what we've learned. So this process is ancient, and it never ends. Jesus wants to show us these things. He demonstrates these principles to us. It's not easy, though. Those pastors, they couldn't do it. Why? Because it frightened them. And that is often what happens. Number three, Jesus knows we fear the new. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Well, because they'd never seen anything like this. They couldn't possibly accept that it was possible. So what was the only thing in their culture that could manifest such an impossible thing? Uh, an apparition. A ghost. They believed in ghosts. They were very superstitious people. Just like many people in Singapore and around the world and everywhere you go, there are, and there are ghosts. There are spirits that manifest. And people see things. It's a real thing. I believe it. And so, that's the first. They didn't dare think immediately that it was a human being. They immediately assumed it was a ghost. Why? Because that's not possible. Because when you see the impossible demonstrated, it causes everything you know is reality to become unhinged. And it shakes you. It really does. From the inside out, you, you start to feel like everything you've ever accepted as fact could be a lie. And that's a good place to be. That life, it's like the matrix. When you take that pill, and how hard it was for him to adjust to reality, because in actuality, the spiritual realm is more re real than our natural realm. But he knows that we fear this, and we often misunderstand the things of spiritual reality. That's why they criticize it. That's why they said he's casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub, because they couldn't possibly accept that it is possible. 
You do, that's what I say. You do enough miracles and they will kill you. Miracles can get you killed probably faster than most things on this planet. And that's why God just doesn't throw them out there like popcorn. He ministers them out carefully. It says of the gifts of the Spirit in the 12th chapter of Romans, I mean, uh, of 1 Corinthians, that he, the Holy Spirit distributes them severally as he wills. And one of those gifts is the working of miracles. Meaning the Holy Spirit knows when and when not to do it. It's always a purpose for a miracle. Why is he walking on the water? That's what we're looking at. There's always a purpose for something like this. It's not just for the fun of it. It's not like going to see Avengers at the cinema. It's not entertainment, but there's a purpose. It's going to produce something. And we don't understand it. We're intimidated. We scream, it's a ghost. Jesus knows that. And he wants to help you because number four, Jesus leads us out of fear. Matthew 14, 27. But Jesus, immediately, how long did he wait? He, right away. I have found that every time you are intimidated by a spiritual thing that you encounter, the Holy Spirit immediately will tell you, don't worry, it's me. That's what he says. Immediately said to them, three things. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. There's a few places in the Bible where Jesus says this phrase, it is I. And it's translated to King James, I am, because that's what he said, as in the great I am. Because see this, and, and we're going to verify this later on, the end result that we'll get to later on is it says they worshipped him. And nowhere in before this did they ever worship Jesus. The result of this later, and I'm, I'm cutting to the end here, but um, I'm, I'm going to go through the rest, was that they worship him. For that to be able to happen, they had to see something supernatural to be able to attribute to it that, that only God can do such a thing was possible. And that, that's why he said, I am. He says, take courage. I am. It's I. Don't be afraid because fear will always be present with us, but Jesus is also always present. Greatest manifestations of the Spirit I've ever seen, the greatest revivals I've ever been involved in by my own influence where things just came unloosed. I mean, they were wild. Like, it's always created problems and havoc. I've seen God just turn places upside down. I've seen entire rooms rendered unconscious instantly, whether they wanted it or not. Literally, an entire room full of people pass out under the glory of God. Seen it more than once. I've been in several what the, what the old revivalists called wailing services. Where every person in the room is screaming at the top of their lungs and can't stop. And it sounds like sirens. In 1995 or 93, was it 19? No, 94. 1994, I was in a meeting where the power, no, I'm sorry, 95, I was right. I was in a meeting where the power of God hit me. And I, that's what I did. I screamed. The first time it hit me in Oaxaca, I screamed like a siren. And I just couldn't stop. Screaming, 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 screaming. Why? I don't know, but it was wonderful. Just an overload of power. The Holy Spirit touched you so extremely. And so 
because I experienced that, I could demonstrate it. And because I demonstrated it, other people experienced it. And I brought whole groups, whole groups I brought into that where everybody was screaming the same way. Happened in Ulasnagar in India. Myra is a witness. It happened in Mexico dozens of times in multiple churches. Happened in the United States of America. And you know what always you think, well, what does that do? I'll tell you what it does. It produces ministries. Wherever that's happened, and we have those kind of services, multiple ministries were born out of that fire. To this day, I meet those people that come to me and say, remember that meeting? <laughs> How could I forget it? That's when I received my call. That's when I knew. That meeting ruined me for the rest of my life, and I knew I could never walk a natural path again. Once again, the principle, if you become what you behold, if you can demonstrate, if Jesus walks on the water, we see it, we know, we have choice in that time. We, have, we can get afraid, we can reject it. Jesus doesn't want that because he's not doing it to frighten you. He's doing it to lead you out of fear into a new life. Number five, Jesus waits for us to initiate spiritual interaction. The scripture then goes on. It says, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I want to stop there and think about this for a minute. Jesus is demonstrating. He's walking parallel to the boat, cruising along. They're watching him. A ghost! <laughs> Take courage. It's, it's me. Don't worry about it. Come on. And he's walking, but he doesn't say to them in that moment, hey, guys, come walk on the water with me. He doesn't say to Peter, Peter, come out here. He doesn't say to Andrew, Andrew, come out here. He would have never invited Thomas. <laughs> Thomas would step on the edge of the boat, flip it over, capsize it, and everybody drowned. But he didn't invite anybody. He didn't invite anybody. He just was demonstrating. He was waiting, peaking the interest, tempting tantalizing them with a display of supernatural manifestation to see how much they wanted. What is it that they wanted? What did they want to become? Peter, like so many times in his life, is the first one to yell out. You're the Christ, remember, he said. We're going to build the church on that, upon the belief that he had. Peter's the one that cries out. If it's you, call me out on the water. And I'm sure that made Jesus happy. I'm sure when Peter said, if it's you, call me out on the water, Jesus started smiling. Because he already knew this is probably not going to work, but let's see. Because he's excited. God's excited when we show interest. When he saw that Moses walked over to see why the bush was on fire without being consumed, he spoke to him. He didn't just light up a bush out of nowhere and say, Moses, Moses, and there's fire. No. Moses saw the fire and said, he knew those dry bushes could go up like that, and that's it. But it's not. It's just continually burning, but not being consumed. Never seen anything like that. I got to go check that out. And then when he went over, Moses, take up your shoes, boy. And he was there in an encounter with God based upon his curiosity that he went. And Peter's the same way. Peter sees him out there in the water. If it's you, call me out there. Come, he said. This is one thing about God. If you ever dare tell the Lord to use you, to call you, to give you a ministry, to bring you into the supernatural realms, never will he rebuke you. Never is he going to say, no, it's not for you. 
I don't want you to walk in the Spirit. I don't want you to have the gifts of the Spirit. I don't want you to be a gifted preacher. I don't, I don't want you to operate in the gifts of healings. You better just leave that. That will never. If you hear that, it's coming from one of two sources, Satan or you. Because God will always call us to do more. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. So at first, it's working great. He got out there and he's walking on the water. Wow, what an amazing experience. What an amazingly daring thing for Peter to do. And I'm sure it made Jesus thrilled to see it. And he was so happy. Look, that's my boy. It's like when a toddler first starts walking. He's walking. He's walking. You know, Jesus must have felt that. Look, check him out. He's actually doing it. He, couldn't, he, he was excited that his demonstration worked. And the, Peter's walking to him out on the water. And at that moment, that's all that really matters. Spirituality does not happen by accident. That's the point I want to make here. It comes through observation and imitation. Let me say that again. Spirituality comes through observation and imitation. You do not naturally turn into a spiritual being in the way that you operate in this realm. It is a choice you have to make. Just like Elisha with Elijah, he had to choose it. Just like Moses in that burning, he had to choose it. Like Isaiah in heaven in the sixth chapter, he had to speak up and say, well, well, here am I. Send me. They didn't say, Isaiah, we're sending you. No, they said somebody has to go. I don't know. Do you know anybody that might want to go? Of course, it's Isaiah. But he didn't say to Isaiah, Isaiah, you will go. No, he just said, somebody's got to go. And Isaiah, I'll do it. Observation, beholding a supernatural manifestation, seeing the Lord, so overwhelming. He said, woe to me, for I am an unclean man with unclean lips, living in an unclean world. Everything he saw was just so beyond. And then after that, the angel came, the seraphim came, touched his lips so that his ears were opened. Then he heard the voice of God. Who can we get to go do this job? And that's when he said, here am I, send me, I'll do it. If it's you, Lord, call me out on the water. And Jesus said, come on. And he's out there walking. I picture him kind of doing a little dance, going out there on the water, so excited. So excited. You know, I've never been satisfied to accept that there are elite individuals. I said that earlier. I want to say it again. I've never been satisfied to think there's these few called people, these few called women, few called men, and those people do these things because there was a, a plan and a destiny from way before and that no one else could ever do that. They're the only one. No, no, I think there's a lot of people that can do a lot of things by choice if you simply observe and make a choice that that can be you. Statistically, how many people do that? Well, there's 12 guys in the boat. How many walked on the water this day? one man. I think it's about right. In the body of Christ, I'd be lucky to see one out of 12 really operating in the spirit, really doing the things of God. For the same principle, spiritual growth is not an instinct, but a pursuit. That's what it means when it says the kingdom allows that behavior. God is inviting us 
He wants us to take the initiative, go after the spiritual things, covet the spiritual gifts. If not, we'll always live in the natural. We will not naturally evolve in spiritual dimensions and perception. We train ourselves. What did it say earlier about the meat and the mature? That by constant use, train themselves to reach that level of maturity. Many people do not grow because they just, they think it'll just happen. If God wants me to do it, he'll, he'll use me. It'll work out. I'm going to wait for the sovereign plan. Hebrews 5.11 says, solid food is for the mature again, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Number six, we're going to finish this message real quick now. Jesus teaches us expecting our failures. You don't think Jesus knew that Peter was going to sink in the water? You don't think that the, the father knew that the son was going to squander his wealth? You don't think that throughout the Bible, knew, I, I have a tendency to believe that God pretty much knew that Adam and Eve were going to do. Why would he put the tree there? I mean, he, he kind of knows there's going to be issues. Satan has sought to sift you like wheat. I'm praying for you. And after you go through that, things happen. They're going to happen. It's part of the lessons of life. Jesus teaches us this, but he's expecting it. But when he saw the wind, Peter, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me, beginning, which means he didn't just go bloop, like under the water. That there was a slow decrease of faith, enough that slowly the molecular properties of the surface tension of the water that seemed to supernaturally support the weight of a human being started changing in the formula of his imagination for him to start reasoning. This is not possible. It was possible because it was happening because God has control over all molecular properties and all elements and everything. It's his. He can do what he wants. He can change the way you react to a physical surface if he wants to. But when he started getting out of the spiritual and into the natural, what does it say? When he saw the wind and the waves and all these things, he began, he was afraid and he began to sing, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Well, if Jesus could have immediately reached out his hand and caught him, it's mean Peter got pretty darn far, no matter how far out. Jesus was. I don't think Jesus was like, you know, a meter away from the boat. And Peter stepped and uh, started sinking. It says he walked on the water. So I, I'm imagining it's at least to the back of the room here. I actually imagine a little further. Because if he had been closer, they would have known it's not a ghost. They would have clearly seen that that's Jesus because it looks like Jesus. But he was far enough away that they couldn't see and Peter was making his way all the way out there. Maybe Jesus was closing the distance between them by approaching him simultaneously. I don't know. But whatever the case, when he started to sink, he was there right in time to grab him by the hand because that's what Jesus knows how to do. He wants you to walk on the water. He knows you're going to fail in some of your attempts. Things are going to go wrong. And your first attempts to walk are never really successful. Gosh, every first thing I've ever done in my spiritual capacity was a disaster. First word of knowledge. First prophecy. I was talking to some guy, and I told him, you know, God told me, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And he says, that is so not God. Shut up. That was my first word. How do you feel in that moment? Oh, I like this prophecy thing. I need to do this more often. Not at all. My first thought was, I feel like an idiot. This is an elder in the church. He's a leader. 
I just so poorly represented that gift that obviously I don't have it. I gave up immediately. First time I preached, you've heard the horror story. One out, an outline, 15 pages in an outline, exhausted in five minutes, and I had 55 minutes on a clock staring at me. Flop sweat. Thank God for an elder that was there that started to help me through it by asking me questions. That's really good, Stephen. Let me ask you some questions about the first things you said. He walked back. He, he took a mental picture of my whole outline and walked me back through it over an hour. Why? They put me in that position knowing I couldn't preach. But they needed me out there to try so that I could learn. How else can you learn? I always say it to people, how many dead people have you raised? I want to raise it, but I've never raised it. I say, how many dead people have you prayed for? Most people would never say. Yeah, I, you know, 16, 17. You know, I hang out at morgues, just touching dead bodies all the time. I'm trying, trying, okay? No, that is a freaky dude, and you will arrest him and lock him away. I like touching corpses. <laughs> no, no, you would lock that guy in an asylum. But we don't experience things because we're not trying it. You know what? That was not the last time I prophesied. That was not the last time I preached. Because I beheld the right way, and I observed, and I did what I saw, I put it in action, I reproduced my pastor in myself, I reproduced my Bible school teacher, I reproduced the greatest preachers that came, I watched the way they did things. People would make fun of me because in my very next message I would sound like a certain preacher. And they would say, you kind of like you're imitating this guy. I'd say, yeah, duh. Because that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. In the beginning I was so much like my pastor I stood like he stood. I walked like he walked. I pulled my pants up like he pulled his pants up. Hallelujah. Talked like he talked. Acted. I prophesied how he prophesied. I used his expressions, everything. And people would make fun of me. He's like a little Ken Dunbar. I would say, thank you. Because I understood the principle. You become what you behold. Reproduce what you see. Sure, later on, I developed my own personality, my own flavor, my own things. The Holy Spirit came to me. He liked what I was doing. And he said, let me give you some original material here. And he started giving me revelations. My messages changed. I started getting new perspectives. You think that happened overnight? No, it happened over 10 years of slave labor and ministry. Preaching sometimes 16 times in a week in slums to mentally deficient children in amputees, like rooms full of people that nobody would ever want to associate. Leper colonies, sitting in the middle of scabby lepers, teaching them for years and years and years. It's very difficult to discourage me. If nobody was here tonight, it's just me and these lights, I'm going to preach. I would still do it. Of course, I'd record it because then somebody online could see it. We, we do what God's called us to do. He teaches us expecting our failures, but we know. And you know what's so funny about the 11 in the boat, too? You know why people don't like to try? Because they're afraid of failure. Fear of failure is the number one reason. Well, what's wrong with failing? What do you think that the 11 said when they saw Peter step out on that water? <gasps> Dude! You know, he steps out on the water. He starts sinking. Idiot. Look at Peter, he always thinks he's something. I'm sure they were criticizing him. You think any of them spoke up to Jesus? Jesus, why didn't you stop this fool from getting out there with you? No, they would have never said that. 
Because you know the difference between Peter and the rest of them? There was a boat with 11 cowards and one man of courage. One man that dared step out. And 11 stayed there in the safe zone, in the little comfy boat. Sore hands from rowing against the wind. There they were, in their boat. They're not about to go out there in the wind and the waves. You say, well, it was windy and it was wavy. And he was afraid and that's why he sank. But he stepped out in spite of it. It's true in the body of Christ. I think very few people are going to take the real risks because they're afraid of sinking. And I'm sure that after the disciples saw this, they decided that it's a bad idea to take such risks. They probably assessed by watching the failure that, okay, lesson learned, don't walk on water. And maybe we should not ever try to do something like that because you might fail. What kind of stinky attitude is that? But that is a lot of people. They try something. I talk to people all the time. Yeah, I, I tried to didn't work in the ministry. I did this, did that. It didn't work out too well because they made fun of me and blah, blah, blah. Look, you got to stay focused. You got to stay committed. All, anything I've done the first time. My first attempt at doing everything was lousy, but I got better and better. So we must fail to succeed. We must die to live, it says in the Bible. If you save your life, you lose it. You lose your life, you save it. So life comes from your failure and your death. We must plant. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it's alone. You have to plant it. Sacrifice is required to step out into your ministry, into your life, into the new things. It could be new businesses. It could be anything. You have to deal with failure. I'm watching Elon Musk get these contracts with NASA and successfully having these space capsules to put these people in these reusable rockets. Now he's building this massive spaceship that is going to eventually be used to transport us anywhere on planet Earth in 45 minutes. Anywhere in planet. That's how he's going to pay to get to Mars. His plan. You think, that's crazy. Go back just 15 years ago. Look at Elon Musk. Invents PayPal and sells it. You know PayPal. He made PayPal. Sold it to get enough money to move into what he wanted to do. And he had several little companies. And, and, and uh, he almost went bankrupt two times with SpaceX before it got where it is right now. And now they're like the wonder. If he, everybody's governments are threatened, that one man with a will could do what no nation or government has ever been able to do. It's beautiful. Jesus is looking for people like that. So now they've seen this. They've seen Peter take a risk, but he did it. By the way, Peter was also the first person to stand up on the second chapter of Acts. From his lips came the words, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel, the first anointed preacher in the history of man. He spoke under the power of the Holy Spirit. And at an altar call, 5,000 people got baptized. That's a far way from sinking in some water. And if he had never sunk in the water, if he'd never tried, maybe he would have never been the one. Maybe it would have been Andrew standing up that day or John standing up that day. But Peter is the one that stood. Because Peter didn't care. Peter just stepped out there. Peter took the risk. Uh, you're the Messiah. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. But my Father in heaven. Number seven, we end with this. Jesus changes us forever. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, which was miraculous again. Because there was no longer a purpose for the wind. 
See, the trials in your life and the difficulties are only going to last as long as the lesson itself. Have you ever noticed the hardest times of your life often end like that? And suddenly they're over and you're like, wait a minute. Where's the trouble? And you like almost miss the trouble. Like I remember it was really horrible and now everything's okay. It's kind of boring. That's happened to me many times. But now I've learned to identify all wind is of God. If it's blowing against me, God has something to do with it. Because nothing can snatch me out of his hand. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him. As I said, first time the disciples worshipped Jesus. Saying, truly, you are the son of God. Wow, do you realize that this means for 14 chapters of Matthew, they did not have this figured out? And this one event finally convinced them? Oh, okay, all, all right, yeah, truly you are then. Yep, that's the Son of God. Now we know it. Worship you, worship you, worship. They totally changed their perspective, their understanding of God, their relationship with Jesus Christ radically was transformed to put them into a realm of spiritual interaction and worship and a recognition of the true identity of Jesus in their life. Why? Because Jesus walked on the water. We go back to the question, why did he walk on the water? This is why. So that he could break them out of their limitations and bring them to a place that they could finally Worship. The true purpose of the lesson revealed is this result. Them worshiping. They admired and loved Jesus before. They honored Jesus before. He was great enough for them to follow. He suspected, uh, they suspected he might be the Messiah, but they held it inside. And all along they're wondering, but now, even in seeing the miracles, they were speculating because prophets did miracles, but now they are absolutely convinced this was the crossing of the line and this worship could only be accomplished in a spiritual capacity because Jesus said it before in the fourth chapter to the woman at the well that he's looking for true worshipers but he's spirit so he can only be worshipped in spirit and truth that means they'd never connected to Jesus in a truly completely spiritual manner until now worship was not possible until this moment and then they worshiped there were others that worshiped just not the disciples but now they know it. It took the unprecedented demonstration and participation in another dimension of existence to bring them to this level. Peter grew by leaps and bounds this day. And he had the, 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 the fortune of being able to say, hey, at least I walked a little while on the water. Dude, why'd you go out on the water? I just wanted to walk on the water. But you sank, but I walked on the water for a while. What did you do? Entering the new. These are the seven things we saw. Seven stages of spiritual development. Number one, Jesus wants to change us. Why don't we stand on our feet? We're going to pray as we close this. How many can clearly see that this is actually the plan of Jesus to change you? You think he's just going to leave you exactly how you are? Do you think that's his plan? Do you think that you under your own resources and in your own recognition of self and your own ability, have somehow managed to develop yourself to a level that God says, oh, no, okay, you got this figured out. That's good. No, he wants to change you. Number two, Jesus demonstrates the new. He shows you whole new worlds, whole new things in spirit. 
that transcend the spirit into the natural. Because everything that happens in the natural has a corresponding element in the spirit. It's not just walking on water. It's so much more than that. And Jesus demonstrates he knows we fear the new. He knows we're afraid of walking into these new things. Jesus leads us out of fear. We live under that cloud of fear, suppressed by it. And Jesus has a way of coming to us when they say, don't bother the master, your daughter's dead. Jesus overhears it and says, don't fear, only believe. And took Jairus by the hand and said, get away from these losers, come on. Surrounded him with bodyguards, Peter, James, John. Jesus following the lead. They kept him. Make sure you're around people that believe these things, that live these things. Jesus waits for us to initiate spiritual interaction. He's waiting for you. He wants to see you do something you've never done before. Find out what it is in 2020. Find out what it is. Maybe you've never preached. You know, if you came to me and said, Stephen, I think I'd like to preach in the church. <laughs> I would be so happy. I would be like, oh, yes, okay. Come and talk to me. Let me know. I'll sit with you and help you prepare your message. I will coach you. I will bring you through the message so that when you present it, it comes out better. Because why? Because later in another place, after you learn in the safety of the church, you're able to go in other realms and do it in other places, in other villages and towns. It's easy out there. Hard would be here because this is the forging ground. It's what we do in the Bible school. We have them do the three-minute, the five-minute message. It's like hell on earth for them. It's torture. But if you can get through that, gosh. Somebody in Bible study says, why don't you share the word tonight? And you're like, yeah, okay, I got something. Because you went through the class and made it. I had to look at Jim Clark and do it. My, you, you don't understand. Me looking at you is nothing. Jim Clark, this man's job was to process out dissidents from the military in the Second World War. He hunted down people that didn't belong, deviants. Got rid of them. I mean, he had, he, of course, got saved. He had a lot of grace. Powerful, powerful man. Disciplined beyond measure. Just incredible man. He got cancer, and he beat it in faith, and he got healed and lived another 20 years. I mean, just that kind of guy. Powerful man of God. Now you will preach to me. Staring at me with his little clock. Start. Jesus teaches us, expecting our failures, and then finally, he changes us forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us tonight. Even from the time of worship, you came to us, you stood with us, and we're grateful. As we have interacted with you tonight, Lord, so let this message bring about a change in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. We see you doing things on the earth today, Lord. We see you operating in realms through man in many places. We see the supernatural taking place all the time. And we're not just going to sit back and watch it and say it's a ghost. We're going to say if it's you, call us out. Call us out on the water, Jesus. Call us out into realms of the ministry in which we've never operated. Call us out into places that we've never been. Lead us. Lead us, Lord. Thank you for it. Let the words of this message be sealed to our hearts tonight. We're grateful for it, Lord. We're grateful for it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we're grateful for it, Lord. We're grateful, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
How many of you feel like you learned something tonight? Look for those opportunities. When you see supernatural things, walk out, go out there and do it. Find the way. Thank you, Lord.